This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Well, it has been fascinating to see the reaction across the Southern Baptist Convention to the news that the Conservative Baptist Network has now been formed. The network describes itself as a partnership of Southern Baptists where all generations are encouraged, equipped and empowered to bring positive biblical solutions that strengthen the SBC in an effort to fulfill the Great Commission and influence culture. It also states on its website that it rejects various unbiblical ideologies currently affecting the Southern Baptist Convention, such as critical race theory, intersectionality, and social justice, adding that it is committed to seeing the SBC function biblically. Now, you would think that a network formed to influence the SBC to fulfill the Great Commission and function biblically would be completely uncontroversial, but already the group is getting some interesting blowback from some of the elite woke in the SBC, as it were, while also seeing thousands of Southern Baptists respond positively to these new efforts. So we're going to find out more today about the Conservative Baptist Network from Network spokesman Brad Jerkovich, who is pastor of First Baptist Church of Bossier City, Louisiana. And Brad, it's wonderful to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining me. Janet, you are awesome. Thank you so much for the opportunity today. Well, it's wonderful to have you. Congratulations on this launch. And did you ever think you would get the kind of reaction that you've been getting in the last couple of days? It's inc- really incredible to watch. Well, it is. It's across the spectrum. Uh, you know, we, we, we anticipated, obviously, some pushback. I mean, anytime you you know, draw some clear distinctions, uh, enter into the fray of, of uh, uh, casting vision and addressing things and trying to have some good conversation, there's always going to be some some pushback. But, uh, you know, we crossed uh, over 3,000 who have joined already over the weekend um, since we launched Friday morning, and uh, we're encouraged. I mean, the vast majority of comments have been way positive, uh, very affirming. So, again, we're, we're grateful. The Lord is working clearly, and uh, we're excited to, to see what God does with it all. Well, that is exciting. So tell us a little bit of background. Why the Conservative Baptist Network? I read some of the things on your website, some of the vision that God has given you for your yeah. role within the Southern Baptist Convention. As you say, you're not a new denomination. You want to stay within the SBC. What led up to the establishment of this network? Why did you think it was so important to put this effort together? Well, I, thank you for the question and, and for some context. So, you know, look, I'm a pastor, um, grew up in, in Southern Baptist churches uh, uh, from the West Coast and then did ministry in, you know, Arkansas and then seminary in North Carolina. So I've always appreciated um, the Southern Baptist, what I would just call a family. I mean, we are. We're a family of brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, you know, we partner together for, for sh- sharing uh, Jesus with the world. But uh, as a pastor, you know, you have to look at these things and say, okay, um, we're here to shepherd our flock, uh, for me here at First Baptist Bossier, and then you go, you look at all your relationships. And when you look at the Southern Baptist Convention, um, I've got church members coming to me, my own uh, involvement in the SBC, and you start to go, hey, the last four or five years, there's just some things that concern me. And when you try to address them and you don't see the needle moving uh, back to where you are, you're, as a pastor, you're going, okay, there's a theological issue here, there's a stewardship issue here. What does that mean for a pastor like me to either stay engaged with the SBC 
or um, or what what are your options? And so I didn't know, Janet, if I was alone in that. I mean, I'd had a lot of conversations with pastors around the country, and I began to hear from other pastors that they felt alone. They felt like if they even spoke up on some of these concerning things that they would be uh, labeled or dismissed or whatever. And I just, you know, uh, some pastor friends of mine, and we just said, look, we just need to get together, get around a table, and just see what God's doing. Either we're like-minded in these concerns, and et cetera, or we're just kind of, you know, done with this or whatever. Um, but it's been serious. And, and a lot of some of us pastors the last five years, Janet, have said, you know, the denomination has just started to go down a road that they're just not comfortable with. And so out of that, we said, what if, our, if our decision is not to walk away, because we do love this Southern Baptist family. We want it healthy and strong. Right. If it's not that, then what does that mean? Well, we knew we didn't want to just create a, you know, a, a site somewhere where people just vent. We, we, we're pastoring churches. We're trying to do ministry. We want something that's going to inspire and engage. And we said, what if we could create a network where like-minded pastors and churches could say, hey, they're speaking my language. They see these same issues. I don't have to disengage from the SBC. We can stay engaged, but we can evaluate these deals and push back on what needs to be pushed back on, engage where we need to engage, and prayerfully, the Southern Baptist Convention could be stronger and healthier going forward. That's the context of that. It really was pastors getting together and saying, God, what do you want to do with this? Yeah, you know? right. Well, and I completely understand why so many Southern Baptist pastors and laymen alike would say, why should we leave? This is our church. This is our denomination. We, right. we want to see the Lord work again in this denomination yep. in biblically healthy ways. But you know what's weird about this? Everybody talks about the conservative resurgence that occurred back in 1979. Do you see different things happening now than happened then in terms of the issues that have come up? Because one of the things I've noticed is you have a a lot of these, for lack of a better term, elite leaders in the SBC constantly right. saying, well, we're orthodox. We have the Baptist faith and message. We have this, right. you know, we're sound theologically. And yet the orthopraxy is what seems to be coming under fire for a lot of people. Well, wait a minute. Right. You're pushing critical race theory in the seminaries. You're talking yep. about intersectionality and social justice. You guys have been doing this Resolution 9. What yep. do you make of that you know, the scenario here where we have people saying we're orthodox and yet they're pushing this woke stuff and then yeah. basically not wanting to have the conversation about it. No, no question about it. That's been one of the challenges I think some of the Baptist pastors have had over the last, let's just say the last year or two, as things started becoming more clearer, I think we're sitting there going, well, what, to your point, um, you know, what is the defining issue here? Um, in the 1979, early 80s, you, you, you would have uh, uh, people saying, well, the first 11 chapters of Genesis wasn't, you know, real. It's not literal. And so you're sitting there going, well, wait a minute. If you don't believe that, what about this? So those were some very clear, uh, uh, you know, testimonies of going, hey, we're not on the same page. That's not conservative. That's not the Word of God. That's not what we stand upon. So you can, you can ar- articulate that well. Here, to your point, people going, well, um, we are conservative. I mean, we believe the Baptist faith and message. I know, but you're adopting worldly wisdom, just like 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, like Paul was saying. You, you don't need that. The gospel is enough. The Word of God is sufficient in all things. Why are we even tolerating these outside ideas or adopting them, affirming them, elevating them? It's not helping. It's confusing. It's, it doesn't enhance the gospel at all. It's antithetical in many ways, and uh, it's creating confusion and division. And so th- there are some similarities in that 
you know, every generation is going to have to take a stand and fight and contend for the faith. Amen. And so, you know, we could assume after that battle was fought in the early 80s that leadership and ministry and agenda and priorities were going to be conservative and stalwart and stand on the Word of God. Um, you can't assume that now. The last five years, clearly, there is a shift of a different road that I'm not saying everybody in SBC life. Uh, there's some great men and women in SBC life, but there needs to be some way to say, wait a minute, the, the, the road that we're on, and it's multiple layers of it. Yes. It's, it's theology, like you said, it's practical, it's, it's uh, uh, ideologies that are being embraced and, and affirmed. You're going, we're not going to survive this. And by the way, Janet, it's not just Southern Baptists, it's any, any conservative Bible-believing group that's in America or the world, they're going to have to contend with this because it's very, very, um, it's intense, man, and, and we've got to be wise and strong at this time. You know? I agree. I agree. You know? It really is rife. But it's scariest, I would say, for most Christians to see it happening in the Southern Baptist Convention simply yes, because ma'am. it is the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. And if the SBC falls away, that does not bode well for the rest of evangelical Christianity. That's how a lot of Christians see it. Well, and that that's our burden. That's what I'm saying. I mean, we looked around the table and said, look, the easy thing to do is go past our churches. Don't pay attention to it. Hopefully it corrects itself. Well, it doesn't. At some point, godly men and women have to step up, stand up, and do it in the spirit of Christ. I mean, no one's out there flamethrowing this and that, but here's the reality. Anytime you draw those distinctions and take a stand, there's going to be um, challenges to that. And so if you want to have honest conversations, then you've got it, just like in marriage. You know, if you and your wife don't agree on something or your spouse, and you want to come back at it and talk, sometimes there's just going to be those moments of tension. And I think a lot of folks are scared of that. Um, but it, it's necessary, and we feel that it's worth uh, paying attention to and standing up for. We don't Absolutely. want to see this go that way. Hang on, Brad. We're going to take a very quick break. Brad Jerkovich, who is pastor of First Baptist Church of Bossier City, Louisiana, and with the Conservative Baptist Network, will come right back with us after this. Christians losing their businesses for not baking wedding cakes for homosexuals. Parents losing custody for not affirming their child's gender identity. Big tech censoring Christian books, videos, and social media posts. This isn't a dystopian nightmare. It's America in 2020. But what will God's people do to respond to the sexual radicals whose rising social and political power is threatening our religious freedom and our free speech? It's time for Christians to get informed about the looming threats that we're facing and learn how to respond as both salt and light. That's why I'd like to personally invite you to join me at our second annual God's Voice Conference, a biblical response to LGBTQ plus tyranny coming to Oklahoma City on April 17th and 18th. You'll hear from an unprecedented lineup of some of the leading Christian thinkers, pastors, pro-family activists, and medical and therapeutic experts who are fighting on the front lines of this battle and standing firmly on God's word in the face of growing LGBTQ plus opposition to Christianity. Speakers including Dr. Everett Piper, Joe Dallas, Dr. Quentin Van Meter from the American College of Pediatricians, and Greg Burt from the California Family Council will all reveal the social, political, and spiritual threats to the church from this movement. They'll offer powerful biblical teaching and encouragement for the battle ahead. You'll hear testimonies from ex-homosexuals whose lives were transformed by the power of the gospel and learn how to answer common arguments that promote homosexuality and transgenderism. Let me tell you, there's nothing else like God's Voice Conference to get 
Christians ready to stand in this evil day. So I hope to see you at the God's Voice Conference and Outreach of First Stone Ministries, April 17th and 18th in Oklahoma City. And take advantage of our early bird discount registration, only $85 through March 1st. So don't delay. Go to godsvoice.us. That's godsvoice.us and register for a conference unlike any other. Go to godsvoice.us and register now. What the church needs now is God's Voice. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Thank you so much for being with us, and we are delighted to have with us Brad Jerkovich. He is pastor of First Baptist Church of Bossier City, Louisiana, and is the spokesman for the new Conservative Baptist Network. And from what you were telling us earlier, Brad, you have over 3,000 people now who have responded and joined up with you, which is just, that. I mean, that just speaks to the need that there is uh, on the part of so many Christians to have a network of this type. Now, I know you're going to be launching this event on June 8th. You talk about this uh, ahead of the right. Orlando uh, meeting yeah. of the Southern Baptist Convention. Can you tell us a little bit about what's ahead for the Conservative Baptist Network? What are you going to be doing on June 8th? Yeah, so our first step was to go public with this, um, which is what you're seeing now. We knew we needed to get this network out there. We, we, we are well aware there are pastors and churches across America who are disengaging. They don't see any hope that, you know what I'm saying, they either feel like they're not being heard or whatever. Uh, or it's too far gone. I mean, I've heard it all. So we wanted to get this out there and let them know, hey, there is a way to stay engaged. Let's take a stand. Let's do it in a positive way. So w- that's what we're doing now. So from here to June, we're going to be um, doing what our purpose statement says. We want to encourage, equip, and empower um, pastors and churches to make a difference. So from our network standpoint, you know, we're going to be offering resources on a weekly or every other week basis, whether it's articles that speak to these issues that can help pastors and churches navigate them, uh, videos, testimonies, encouragement, and resources. But we also want to point them to an event in June. We're at the convention. We're going to have what we're calling our kind of our main launch event. Uh, and that will obviously be preaching, speaking, addressing these issues. The thing for us, um, and then beyond that, uh, even Janet, beyond that, we felt like the network could host things regionally, whether it's a conference or different special events um, that can help pastors and, and churches uh, stay engaged. For example, one of the things, the, uh, uh, one of the uh, unique uh, uh, qualities there of this network is about uh, patriotism, okay, okay. And, and, and taking a stand in religious liberty and so forth. Well, how can we help pastors and churches navigate those waters, okay, regardless of who's president? Uh, Baptists have led the way on religious liberty. Right. Baptists have led the way on freedom of conscience and, and, and doing that. And so, you know, maybe we're, we're able to host some events that can help pastors and churches navigate those waters where it just seems in recent years in SBC life, there's a, uh, a thought or an idea that's coming around that, you know, um, if you speak about freedom or standing for a cultural engagement in America— that you're somehow putting America over your kingdom citizen with Jesus. I know. And, and I, I just don't see that. <laughs> no. And pastors are going, we're sitting here going, well, wait a minute. I, I love the Lord Jesus. Of course, he's Lord of all. And I know I'm going to heaven, but I'm also in America. And these things were fought for, carved out for. And if we don't stand for that, then what in the world are we doing for our children and churches and ministry? Um, God has given us freedom to share Jesus with the end of the world. Uh, we, it, we'd be foolish to squander that. So, all I'm saying is that's just one aspect of the network where we can help pastors and churches 
um, you know, in that message and in that endeavor. It's just one way. Good. One way. Well, and, and, you know, yeah. I know I can speak for myself. I'm tired of the Russell Morification of everything. This is the guy who came in a few years back and started lecturing Christians in the SBC that they loved politics more than they loved the gospel as he went off and, and hung out with Obama in the White House to talk about amnesty. And right away, a whole lot of people said, well, wait a minute. Why is it OK to be political if you're, you know, hanging with the left, but it's not OK to be political if you're seeing the, the biblical foundation of conservative causes. And, you know, that's been an ongoing issue. I wanted to ask you, though, about something in particular, because you've had a lot of these big leaders in the SBC respond, for example, on Twitter to the launch of the Conservative Baptist Network. And I was noting that Dr. Albert Moeller, who could well be the next president of the SBC, put out a tweet that said the real network of Southern Baptists is called yeah. the Southern Baptist Convention, which I thought to be a little snarky. Then he put out this article called the Convictional Cooperation of the Southern Baptist Convention. It was kind of a big word salad that didn't say a whole lot. He just kind of kept reiterating cooperation, unity, Baptist faith and message. But he said something really odd in this piece, and I was interested for your reaction. He said, Southern Baptists have lost our ability to talk respectfully and convictionally. We had better recover that ability fast or we will destroy the very foundation of cooperation that has brought us to this moment. But it seems odd to me that he fails to even discuss the elephant in the room. And that is his own facilitation of this woke garbage in the seminaries and the toleration of some of this stuff. It's like he doesn't even want to deal with it. And yet for years, he's been called the conservative hero of the Southern Baptist Convention. What is your reaction to all of this? This response in particular from Dr. Moeller. Yeah, well, again, I mean, I, if I'm a leader in the SBC right now, I'm grateful that a network is coming online that's going to keep thousands of Baptist churches engaged, yes. number one. Right. I mean, I certainly wouldn't want to be dismissive or even or even let it be perceived as dismissive. Uh, you know, that's my personal take on that. I mean, he can own that statement on his own. Um, but to me, to have honest conversations... Um, you know, you, you, it, it does help to come to the table and be honest about those things, own those things, and say, how do we, how do we course correct and call things what they need to be called and be clear about these things? So I welcome honest conversation. I know that I've tried to have that uh, over the years and myself. I mean, I've gotten, you know, I've served on committees. I've done all that kind of stuff. And like I said, Janet, there's some great people there, but um, there's some deep stuff going on that we've We've just kind of allowed, and, and again, I get it. You know, pastors are, are busy. They don't necessarily want to engage. But at the end of the day, this is worth it. And so if leadership want to have those honest conversations, the engine of the SBC is pastors and churches, period. Yes. And so that's why we felt like this is a unique moment for pastors and churches to say, wait a minute, this is our convention, and we're going to take a stand, and this is what God's called us to. This is what we've stood for for decades now, and it has not come without a price. Why are we willing to just walk away from this? And, uh, and, and, and one of the things, too, that's needed is clarity. Uh, you know, people can hide behind the name conservative all day long and affirm A, B, and C, but it's like, no, what do you mean by that? And that's right. why in our name, we just said, you know what, this is who we are. This is what we're about. Let's stand on it and not be afraid of that. And we've had an incredible response to that. Well, we can see, you can see why, because you're really hitting a nerve with a lot of pastors and a lot of Christians in the SBC. What would you like to see happen, Brad, at the next convention in Orlando in terms of who to elect as president or the kinds of resolutions that ought to be passed? Have you had any discussions along those lines thus far? I know it's kind of early on. 
Yeah, I mean, we haven't fleshed all of that out, Janet. I will say this. We're very comfortable right now just coming out and saying we're not endorsing any particular candidate. We don't have a candidate that we're running, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, but but clearly, on a principle standpoint, we want conservative, um, you know, guys who are going to believe the Bible sufficiently and stand on it and not. Uh, Janet, we, we're living in a culture. You see it in America culture and everything else. Um, you just see these two roads just diverging on every level and it's not we're foolish to think it's not going to affect our SBC family so it's going to take some courage it's going to take people uh uh um, you know fleshing these things out and saying no i don't really care what twitter says about this this is what god says (laughs) and it's worth standing for and we i want my children to see that i want our churches to have confidence in that jesus is coming again soon and that's what we got to be passionate about so conservative leadership we want people who are not afraid to call things what they are and uh and let's get after it for the lord you know so uh, it's important yeah. well said well said do you think that the southern baptist convention can once again experience a resurgence as it did decades ago i mean that many people talk about the miracle of how the sbc turned around back then it was absolutely unprecedented to see the lord do something like that how do you feel about that because you know we're living in a new day there are new challenges but we have the same sovereign god that we had all those years ago how do you see the battle going forward in terms of what you would like to see the lord do or what you expect the Lord may do. Yeah, I, I look, I believe God can do anything. I see pastors going to churches all across America that are dead, dying. Maybe they've gone, you know, a, a leftward lean or whatever. And God uses that to do a fresh work in these individual churches. So, you know, when you see God doing those kinds of things and just these miraculous works, I think he can do it convention-wide. Um, but it's, going, it's not going to be overnight. And it's going to take some, uh, just some continual prayer uh, continual um, passion and commitment, and and for men and women to be bold, um, they don't have to be arrogant or cocky, but they do need to be clear and consistent. And and we need to say this is what God's calls to be. We need to return to this. We need to be about this. And it's not just so much going back. It's just let's reaffirm and then let's go forward with that confidence. And I think the Lord can do it. I think there's a clear hunger for that. And and to your point earlier, Janet, other. Other people are watching this. They want the SBC to be strong. Yes. And and so I think that even people outside of our family are are praying for that, you know. Absolutely. And so it can happen. It seems like it's a little overwhelming because those who have a megaphone right now are not speaking that uh, message. But sometimes it's in that phase where God just says, no, I'm going to do something you weren't even expecting. And that's <laughs> That's pretty special. It is really special. Very quickly, Brad, because I know we're going to run out of time here soon. What kinds of changes do you think most need to occur in the Southern Baptist Convention? What would be the top or the top two changes that need to happen in order to be going in the right direction? Well, I I think this whole ideology of basing everything on the color of your skin or power, all of that stuff is is, it's it's ripping us to to shreds. It really is. And so... We've got to have clarity on that. The Resolution 9 was just an absolute uh, train wreck. It's, it's something there you're just going, okay, Lord, we've got to uh, we've got to send a message that says this is what we're about and this is what the gospel calls to be about. And then we just need to make sure we have conservative leadership uh, leading the way. And then you can, you, know, you can work through and flesh out a lot of other things with that. But there needs to be some confidence restored in Southern Baptist pastors and churches that that we're not going to just talk these things, but people are really going to do them. And quit playing games with some of these cultural winds that are blowing right now. 
We don't need it, and we're not doing any anybody any good uh, doing that. So yep. anyway, I know that's kind of general, but I that's kind of where we're headed, you know. Yeah, absolutely great. Absolutely great. And people can check out your website. It's conservativebaptistnetwork.com. It's exciting to see this launch, Brad. I'm excited, and I know thousands of Southern Baptists are excited. We'll be praying for you. Brad Jerkovich, the spokesman for the Conservative Baptist Network. Thanks so much, Brad, for being here. Thanks, Janet. God bless you, girl. All right. God bless you, too. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Well, I want to talk a little bit further about this article written by Dr. Albert Moeller, the convictional cooperation of the Southern Baptist Convention. And if you look at the tweet that he put out that the real network is the Southern Baptist Convention, it seems very weird that he would be so dismissive of conservatives. Of conservatives. Why would he be dismissive of conservatives if his whole reputation throughout all of these years in the Southern Baptist Convention is as the conservative hero? Does this strike anybody else as weird? I mean, really? And then he writes this article that is just kind of blabbering. I mean, I'm I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to summarize what the whole effect of this is. He talks about the Baptist faith and messages, the summary of Baptist beliefs, what holds us together. Nothing, you know, we don't agree on absolutely everything, but we cooperate and we shouldn't lose this Baptist faith and message. And we should have this new set of challenges that we meet. And we're looking into a culture reality that is increasingly hostile to biblical truth. And it is both powerfully seductive and threateningly coercive. The rising generation of Southern Baptists will be called to even greater conviction if we are to maintain our cooperation in the Great Commission. Okay, first of all, I'd like to say Al Mueller has done all kinds of tolerating and enabling of the woke. That's been the crux of all of this. Matt Hall in his seminary at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary talking about how he's a racist and invoking basically the tenets of critical race theory and then kind of walking it back a little bit when there was blowback. And then Al Mohler took down the video of Matt Hall saying what he said. This is the, I think, the provost at SBTS. Yeah, you have all kinds of stuff going on. And I go back in particular because I want to play this cut again for you, just so you don't forget this. Do you remember when Dr. Moeller appeared at the Shepherds Conference out at Grace Community Church, John MacArthur's church in California? And they it was kind of an odd scenario because you had Dr. MacArthur and you had Phil Johnson, who was you know kind of moderating the discussion. And he tried to raise the issue of the awkwardness of the social justice stuff, which is on the rise in the SBC, and what do we do about this? And Dr. Moeller did not like talking about that. I want you to listen as he's talking about the need to stand up against unbiblical, you know, inroads and being taken and we need to be careful to stick to our theological convictions. But then when he was questioned about the rise of social justice and all of this garbage in the SBC, this was his weird reaction. Listen to this. I just I I am not going to be forced into uh, a Twitter conversation, 140 characters about these issues. Uh, I have been trying to lay out for 30 plus years an understanding of how evangelicals should engage the culture 
And uh, I mean, I cut my teeth apologetically uh, confronting cultural Marxism and uh, I mean, the, the entire network of issues of the left. Uh, you look at who I invite to my campus, you look at who I cite, you look at who I uh, platform, uh, I feel pretty good about the message uh, that I'm sending there. Uh, when it comes to uh, concerns about the evangelical left, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I'm, I have been quite vocal. And anyone who knows the conversations amongst evangelical leadership knows exactly where. I am on these issues. How best to articulate that concern in this particular moment, that's not easy. That's not easy. And I have tried to help to interpret uh, these issues as clearly and biblically and charitably as I can. I'm afraid we're going to lose an enormous number of, uh, of evangelicals uh, to uh, various kinds of social gospel because that's a lot easier to find satisfaction in than evangelism. Okay, but he talks about what he has been. Oh, I've confronted the left. I've spoken out for many years. Well, why aren't you speaking out against it now? You could have stood up at the convention where they were passing Resolution 9 and said something and nipped that entire thing in the bud because you're L. Muller and you didn't say anything until after it was all said and done. So why don't you confront the left now if you're so concerned about the left? This is the duplicity that is going on. And this is what is so terrible for the Southern Baptist Convention. Pick a side. You can't say to this group of people, I'm with you, and then turn around to the same the opposite side and say, I'm with you too, which is essentially what's been going on, if not in direct words, by inaction and by what you tolerate and by what you enable. It's ridiculous. Tom Askell from Founders Ministries has a really good piece over at his website. You really ought to read it, especially if you're a Southern Baptist. It's called Interesting Times and Changing Times in the Southern Baptist Convention, and he's lamenting some of these problems. Resolution 9, obviously, on critical race theory and intersectionality was a train wreck, but he also references this recent debacle over the 2020 Southern Baptist Convention Pastors Conference. This is a lineup that includes a pastorate well, woman teaching pastor, there is no such thing, a four square gospel pastor and a Southern Baptist pastor whose church has at least one woman pastor alongside him on staff. Oh, and the Southern Baptist pastor, David Hughes of Church by the Glades, has regularly used sexual themes and innuendo for sermons and evangelistic strategies. For example, here are some of the list here of Pastor Hughes's sermon series, the world's largest strip club with the tagline, come get naked with 5,000 of your closest friends without taking off your clothes. Does that sound appropriate for a church? No, 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 no. So he says these two incidents are simply the latest examples of ways that God is removing the facade that has covered much of Southern Baptist life and forcing all who refuse to close their eyes to face up to serious heartbreaking realities. The revelations are painful enough in themselves, but the way that SBC leaders have responded in the wake of them is even more telling, more disheartening and more alarming. And he goes on to cite a couple of other examples, one of which has to do with the hiring of Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor over at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Now, you know, as a good listener to the Janet Meffer Today Show, that Karen Swallow Pryor endorsed Revoice at the very beginning when we exposed it. She had an endorsement on the Revoice website with her picture. And then she's hired at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. 
Nobody has answered anything about that or given answers that are good about why she was hired there. And Tom Askell has tried to get some answers from Danny Aiken, the president of the seminary, and says he has not had adequate answers to that question. The Matt Hall scenario, the provost there at SBTS, and his questionable teachings brought to light on the seminary's website and in video recordings. But then the events have not been really responded to by these SBC leaders. They're called to account, and then they either ignore the calls for account or they double down in defense of their actions. And he goes through some of the details about how he tried to get responses. He went to Southeastern's president, Dr. Danny Aiken. He went to Dr. Pryor. He asked a straightforward question about her endorsement of Revoice, and they won't answer. Of course they won't answer. Because this stuff is being pushed. We've been saying this since May of 2018. This has been going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. They are very quietly trying to push a certain twisting of sexuality on the Southern Baptist Convention. To what extent, we don't yet know. But we do know the background on a lot of the SBC ties to Revoice. We have covered that like a rug here on Janet Meffer today. So his big concern is that you are not getting a response from these people. They have tried to go through the channels, the normal channels of getting a response from these leaders. Could you please speak to the issue of Revoice? Could you please speak to the issue of intersectionality and critical race theory? Could you please tell us why this is going on? That is going on. You're hiring this liberal woman. What is going on here? And they just kind of don't answer. And then you get people like Dr. James Merritt coming out and referring to the little people. Yes, he really did that. He referred to the little people on his Twitter account. There is an elitism among these people. And as far as I'm concerned, as an observer of Southern Baptist life and as somebody who has been observer and observer of Southern Baptist life and the Southern Baptist Convention goings on since I was a student at Baylor covering religion and covering the Southern Baptist Convention, you need new leadership, Southern Baptists. That's what it comes down to. You need new leadership. You need to clean house and you need to get new people in. And those people need to be Bible-believing, staunch conservatives who hold the line on the word of God from Genesis to Revelation and who don't play games when it comes to saying one thing out of one side of their mouths about what they stand for. And then on the other hand, they're doing the opposite in practice. That needs to end. Period. That's that's the way that I see it. You will never get a change in the Southern Baptist Convention unless you get leaders that you can trust and unless you get leaders who are accountable to the sheep. And yes, leaders do need to be accountable to the sheep. And I know there are people out there who believe, oh, we just need to do what our leaders say. The Bible doesn't say that. The sheep are to judge their shepherds. Absolutely. What about all these admonishments in the New Testament about testing? testing to see if these leaders are approved. That needs to happen. There's more to come on Janet Meffer today. Stay with us. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up with Liberty HealthShare. As a Christian healthcare sharing ministry, Liberty HealthShare is not insurance, so you can still sign up. In fact, you can sign up any time of year, and there are no contracts. Starting as low as $199 a month, Liberty HealthShare has memberships for singles, couples, and families, so you can choose the ideal program for your situation. Plus, Liberty HealthShare has no network, so you're free to pick your own doctors, hospitals, and providers. Liberty HealthShare 
Care is a nonprofit ministry, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information. libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Hi, this is Mike Reagan, author, political commentator, and son of the 40th President of the United States, Ronald Reagan. And I enthusiastically support the life-saving work of preborn. They work 24-7 in the highest abortion cities in America to care for moms in unplanned pregnancies. Would you go to preborn.org today and help save an innocent baby's life? Saving a baby's life has never been as important as it is right now, with more and more states legalizing abortion up to nine months. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasound sessions in the nation. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today to help save babies? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies from abortion. All gifts are tax deductible, and when you donate, you'll receive a story and a picture of five babies whose lives were spared. To donate, call 855 855- 855402 baby 855402 2229 that's 855402 baby or there's a banner to click at janetmefford.com you're listening to janet mefford today and now here's janet all right i'm going to have to be really quick here i'm not going to have a lot of time to deal with this i think there's a new media strategy that is being rolled out by these big eva elite on how they're going to deal with us little people going into 2020. We're the little people. We're just the little people. Uh, As we go back to the 2016 election, you'll recall that you had these very self-righteous never-Trumpers. Russell Moore, the head of the ERLC at the Southern Baptist Convention, David French at National Review. You had Michael Gerson at the Washington Post and a whole host of other characters. And the whole strategy back in 2016 was to shame people. Shame pro-life evangelicals. How could you lose all of your your principles and vote for Donald Trump, to which I have said since the very beginning, who would you have had us vote for? Hillary Clinton? Okay, then shish. We didn't ask your opinion. We don't really need a bunch of elitists telling us who to vote for. We have consciences that are guided by the word of God, and it is an individual decision by every Christian to vote for whomever you want to vote for. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that every choice is equal. I obviously don't think that. I have very strong opinions about who we should vote for and who we shouldn't vote for. But it was just the snarky kind of elitist snobbery coming down from on high. Oh, it must be about the gospel. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you used to work for a Democrat congressman, Russell Moore. So, you know, you might want to just go do something else for a while. We don't really care what you think. So that didn't work. That was a big disaster. And then we all kind of made a big deal at the time that Russell Moore really needs to go. And we almost succeeded in that, but it didn't quite succeed in that. So he remained, but then he kind of got quiet because his job was on the line. Now they're rolling out what seems to be this new media strategy. How are we going to get those pro-life evangelicals to not vote for Trump? And I have noticed what they have done is you have people within the same cabal, as it were, putting out well-timed articles in various places, all addressing kind of the same issue, but saying things a little differently. And it's beginning to emerge to me how they're going to handle 2020. Because here's what's happened. As I've pointed out before, you had the Evangelicals for Life conference that the ERLC has been involved in and various and sundry evangelical leaders have joined forces. And the whole thing is we just roll out evangelical leftist Ron Sider old argument from the late 80s, uh, what it means to be really pro-life. 
and and it's not just about unborn babies and saving their lives. It's also about, you know, in the in the modern context, it's about refugees and it's about open borders and it's about that. No, it's not. It's not. Pro-life and the pro-life movement is about saving the lives of unborn children who are being slaughtered in abortuaries. That's what the pro-life movement is about. You can talk about other things, but the, the rest of that stuff does not fit under the rubric of the pro-life movement. So I've talked quite a bit about this. So what they've been trying to do is tell evangelicals, you need to be holistically pro-life, holistically. You can't, yes, you should care about babies in the womb, but you ought to care about refugees and immigrants and this and that and the other thing. And you got to be for this and that and the other thing. And what that does is it creates a setup by which they can say, see, it's okay for you to vote for a Democrat because you need to be holistically pro-life. They're doing it. Here's an example of this. Andrew Walker is a senior fellow, was senior fellow in Christian ethics at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. So Russell Moore was his boss. Now he's on the faculty of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he serves as associate professor of Christian ethics and apologetics. And he's also an associate dean, et cetera, et cetera. He wrote a piece in National Review. It's very long. I'm not going to read it. But basically saying, you know, you need to understand why religious conservatives would vote for Trump. And I'm like, well, okay, this sounds pretty conservative. And he's going through all the reasons, you know, it's complicated. You know, the media has made it out to be the case that evangelicals have voted for Trump because they've compromised their principles on the one hand um, or, or they're just stupid or, you know, there are all these different reasons that they've talked about Christians really compromising everything that they stand for by having voted for Trump, uh, which was his boss's position uh, ad nauseum. But he's trying to make the case that, you know, you really need to consider the reluctant Trump voter. And, you know, there, you know, he does say some good things. He's like, you know, not all Christians are gung ho for Trump. They just see him as the better option when they're faced with different scenarios on who they can vote for and and who's really on the ballot. But now listen to this as you get through this piece deep in the piece. He says this. My advice to progressives is that if they want religious conservatives to let go of their devotion to the Republican Party's platform, progressives should weaken their commitment to unfettered abortion access. The same goes for their support for gender fluidity and opposition to any person or institution that does not affirm such things as gay marriage. Until that happens, complaining about white evangelicalism and ascribing to it every imaginable authoritarian impulse will be like shouting into a void. No one will listen. Okay, stop a minute. Why is Andrew Walker giving progressives advice on how to get evangelicals to vote for them. Does that strike anybody as weird? No, because he's trying to put forward this argument. Oh, these progress, all oh, these pro-life evangelicals are not necessarily bad people. They're just reluctant Trump voters. And deep in the piece, he gives advice to progressives on how they can get evangelicals to vote for them. Just back off on the gender fluidity stuff, guys. Back off on your, on your abortion access unfettered position. That's weird, isn't it? Okay, then you have in the Washington Post, Michael Gerson. Good old Michael Gerson. He also has an overlap with the ERLC. He's done stuff with the ERLC before. And his piece in the Washington Post is, it is difficult for pro-lifers to vote Democrat, but it's better than Trump. (laughs) Oh, okay, so Gerson's just coming out and saying it. And he talks about Walker's column in National Review, and he says, no, no, Walker, you're being too, you know, unambiguous, and you need to, you know, understand that there are limiting principles here. I mean, Gerson, who in the world is listening to Michael Gerson? And I thought to myself, that's a little weird. It's almost like a triangulation. 
because both these guys overlap with the ERLC and we know what the ERLC thinks about evangelicals voting for Trump. So is this just kind of a good cop, bad cop scenario with these pieces appearing within days of one another? Andrew Walker can be the good cop. See, I think it's okay for people. I didn't vote for Trump, but you guys can vote for Trump because they're reluctant about it. And then he buries in the piece the fact that progressives need to do more to get evangelical votes. And then you have Gerson saying, oh, Walker's wrong. You should be able to vote for a Democrat. It's very weird, isn't it? Then you have David French. David French. Oh, David French, the ultimate never Trumper. And David French writes a piece. How then should Christians vote? I mean, do these people ever get tired of their never Trump diatribes? Seriously, is there nothing else to write about out there? It is just endless. I have not sat down and taken a full account of how many articles these guys have written on this subject, but I'm bored with their columns. I can't imagine that they're fascinated with their columns at this point. It's absolutely endless. His body Bottom line is, he says, let me answer with my voting philosophy. One, I believe advances a Christian biblical witness and the long-term peace and prosperity of our national home. In each race, I impose a two-part test on candidates. First, they must possess a personal character that is worthy of the office they seek. Second, they must broadly share my political values. If a candidate fails either prong of that test, he or she doesn't receive my vote. Okay, well, good for you. You can be dumb and not vote. But I happen to think that that's a mistake because you had a candidate in 2016 who called Christians a basket of deplorables and thinks Christians are horrible. What are you going to do? Stay home and with a race as close as that one, make sure that more people vote for the candidate who thinks Christians are deplorable? And the party that has Beto O'Rourke saying, you know, we really ought to shut down those churches that that don't really get on the bandwagon with the LGBT stuff. Really, you want to hand things over to them. That is fine. You know what? We have freedom of conscience and we have freedom of religion. And if David French wants to be dumb about voting, he's perfectly within his rights to do that. But where do you get biblical justification for telling Christians that unless they meet your one, two, never Trump French test, that they should just, you know, that they're sinning? They need to stay home and not vote for anybody at all. It's crazy. And then the worst part of the article is he says, given conservative evangelicals stunning reversal on the importance of character in politicians, do they now owe Bill Clinton a heartfelt apology? No, we don't, David. We don't owe Bill Clinton an apology. We don't owe you an apology. We don't owe Michael Gerson and the ERLC an apology or the Washington Post or the rest of this elitist cabal that is trying desperately to tell evangelicals that they can't vote the way that they wanted to vote. You know what? It's not even a reluctant Trump situation the way it was in 2016. I think it is more and more and more an enthusiastic Trump vote that is coming out of the evangelical coalition. And these guys are desperate to stop it. And what's really hilarious to me is I don't think much of anybody's listening to them. And I think the 81% of white evangelicals who voted for Trump in 2016 is going to be much lower than what you're going to see in 2020. That's just my expectation because of how much Trump has done to undergird and support Christians, the pro-life cause, religious freedom, Israel. And he has really gone to bat for Christians. And they keep going back, oh, he's a sinner. We know. We know. And, and not even to mention the fact that apparently they, they don't think it's a problem that they just want to write him off and dismiss him instead of perhaps getting near to him, sharing the gospel with him and praying for him to be saved. I mean, 
you know, you didn't have a whole lot of leftists failing to want to cozy up to Obama during those days. Oh, we're going to be part of the religious elite that are close to the president. I guess that only works if it's a leftist president in that group. Very weird. But I'm telling you, we're going to get more of this going into the election, just batting down the hatches. It's all going to continue. Uh, That's why we're here. We'll, We'll keep you posted. Hey, thanks a lot for listening to Janet Mefford today. Always wonderful to have you with us. God bless. We'll see you next time. 